Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What's happening, listeners and viewers? Welcome to All Things Covered with Patrick Peterson and Brian McFadden, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. The name says it all. If you like what you hear, please, please download and subscribe and make sure you leave us a five-star rating. No four stars, no three stars. We like a five-star rating on all Apple Podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube. Just visit youtube.com slash Covered. Pat P, what are we going to cover on this episode? Man, it's going to be a very, very fun episode. But unfortunately, we got to talk about our loss that we had against the Seattle uh, Seahawks on Thursday night. Uh, talk about our matchup, upcoming matchup against the Patriots. And one of my favorite coaches of all time, Jimbo Fisher. Man, I, I, That's a very, very intriguing conversation that we're going to have. And uh, I'm excited about it. No question. Please stay tuned. We got Jimbo Fisher joining us a little later in the show. Yo, listeners, viewers, if you guys been following the show, and I hope you've been following the show, the podcast and the YouTube page, you kind of understand the structure and how this show goes. First quarter is about chopping it up. And in our chopping it up segment, me and Pat, we take you guys into the life of a professional player, collegiate player, high school player or just yeah. a normal individual. We share fun stories, take you back to some of our, uh, of our memory lane, to say the least. And for me personally, Pat, I know you got a lot of fun stories. I got a lot of fun stories as well. <laughs> and I'm going to take this one first. I'm going to grab the baton. I'm going to be the first leg on the four by one. I'm going to hand it to hey, you with the second got, leg. So I'm going to go back to 2005, okay. my rookie year, Pittsburgh Steelers, right? The very first week of the season, the first week of the season mm-hmm. on that Wednesday, the first real practice Wednesday, getting ready for that first ball game. The checks were in town. The checks, <laughs> right? The checks, the first. Y'all was getting now, paid on Wednesdays? We were getting paid on Wednesday, yeah. We, get, we usually Jeez. got, yeah, we usually get paid on Wednesday. Okay. It, well, it, they would be ready Tuesday, but you know, a lot of guys, if they didn't come into the facility on Tuesday, which is our off day, they'll get them on Wednesday, right? So every team different? Every team different, because when I played at AZ, when I played at AZ, we got paid. Friday. Every week, and I think it was like a Wednesday. It wasn't a Friday. Oh, it might have was a Friday because I, I used to go to the bank. You know, I'm old-fashioned. <laughs> I don't like direct deposit. I want to touch my paper. I want to feel it. You feel me? I want to look at it and walk into the <laughs> bank. You know, hey, Pat, real quick story. though. When I got to AZ, I knew I was doing some pretty good things because when I walked in, they hit me with Mr. McFadden. <laughs> I felt entitled. That's okay. They asked me that I want some wine, you know what I mean? Some, some beverages, you know what I mean? Some crackers and some grapes. I'm like, okay, right. I wasn't used to that. You feel me? That that bait that BOA over there in Chandler too. That's the one I used to go to all the time. Oh, over man. there in Chandler. So real so so getting back to the story. So um, Wednesday was was check day, and as rookies, part of your obligation for being a rookie, you got to go get things. You know what I mean? You're like the the, the guy to go. You're like the little the, the 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 children in the house. You go get the right. remote control. You go get anything. So they're like, rook, go get the checks. So I had to go get all the DB checks. So my man Pat, when I first opened my check, now man, it, grant, mind you, this is going back to 2005. Everything has inflated. You know what I mean? Right. So me personally, I can't remember what our rookie base salary was, but for me, I, I opened my check. 
man, I saw that check pad. I seen that thing said uh, it's like sixteen thousand and four hundred, right? Uh-huh. I said, well, shit, well, I done made it. Well, I said, you can't tell me nothing, right? <laughs> now, mind about to get this every week, hey, man. Listen, I said, man, I'm good. I'm good. So, I'm, man, I, I remember like it was yesterday. I was in the training room, laying on the table. I opened that check. I said, yes, sir. I'm going straight to the bank when we get out of practice. So I go back <laughs> into the locker room, Pat P. Listeners, viewers, and. I'm seeing some of the older guys open their checks. I don't know why I decided to do this, but I walked around and I'm not going to name this player, but he was a vet. Bruh, I walked around and I would just see the book because I'm used to training camp and training camp. We were getting a check around like eight hundred dollars a week or something like that. I was happy for that. I'm coming straight from Florida State, so I'm happy with that. But I got that 16. I got that 16, 16 bands, right? I said, boy, I'm good. I'm 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 official. Man, I walked around to one of the vets. I say, I say, OG, man, what that little check looking like? I'm trying to be funny. <laughs> yeah, you, know, I, I, hey, you know, hey, you know, somebody trying to insult you low key to hit you with that little. What that little check looking like, OG? He said, man, you don't want to see this, man. I'm just trying to make it. So I'm yeah. in my mind. I'm like, man, let me see what this check looking like. I looked over his shoulder. Pat Pete, that man check said 232,000. <laughs> man, I bought, man, I, man, listen, you know how you see, you know how oh, when you put ice, outside on a hot concrete and it just melt instantly man i man i man listen my whole practice was effed up oh man i know i, I could pat 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 it, P, it, it could before. man listen <laughs> it, I, I said what did i got to do to get to that level oh, I, the man. thing about this listeners and i granted I, i'm not complaining i'm extremely grateful but when i saw my sixteen thousand, i was ready to jump through the roof but when i walked throughout the locker room and i saw that two hundred and thirty-two thousand. Man, that did something to me, man. It might turn my whole stomach upside down. Oh, and I said, God. never again. I would never look to look, I would never ask to look at a vet's check ever again. Now that's funny because it happens every year, man. Since when when you have these young guys coming in, you know, they just they just curious, you know. No, no question. <laughs> no question. You're curious. You mind you, I was a second round pick, so oh. I had a nice little bonus, but that was right. the checks that I was gonna get. Every weekly, you know, every week, yeah, yeah. So to build up, but yeah. I'm like, man, how, how does man getting paid two hundred thousand? Hey, Mac, <laughs> man, hey, I I seen it, man. That's why I'm laughing so hard. I know exactly where you're coming from, but I'm gonna go down memory lane. I'm I'm gonna stay in the league as well. This was also my rookie year, but this mm-hmm. happened on the field. We actually was playing you guys, Pittsburgh Steelers, the Steelers. in Arizona, right? In Arizona. So you know, at that time, I think I had two block field goals. Uh, maybe one, and I think I blo- yeah, I think I had two block field goals at this time, and uh, uh, and I had like a good snap count on y'all. I figured who the holder was, but anyway, he used to always tap the ground. So when he tapped the ground, that mean the ball was coming. Mm-hmm. So the whole time, and I jumped the snap. I had jumped the snap, the field goal before, and all, damn, they blocked it. So they came back with me, and and, and I knew something was up because anytime you see the head coach walk towards the offic- the to to uh, uh, towards the officiating crew, yeah, or like to uh, to the umpires, like be ready, like this is about to happen. So, listeners and viewers, that's another tip you can get on when you're out there on the football field. If you are some athletes, notice where the head coach is. He he might give you some tips and when a double move is coming because he's going to try to beg that ref on a holding or a pi call. But mm-hmm. back to my story, uh, I saw Mike, Mike T. No, shout out to Mike T. He was on um, All Things Covered. Friend of the show. Walking, yeah, I walking. I saw him walking down to the uh, to the uh, to the to the referee, and I was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna get this." Because, like I told you, the, the play before, like I had a good, I had a good jump on it. 
I said, oh, yeah, I'm about to go get this joint. Because it was just for, uh, I think it was just for three, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think it was just a field goal. Yeah. But that's what uh, that's what made me have that opportunity to give, uh, be aggressive and try to go do it again. But anyway, no, actually, it was not a field goal. It was, it was extra not point? A field goal. No, no, no. Because I knew it was a further, it, was, I mean, it wasn't an extra point. It was a field goal because you guys were further back. Because back then, you know, the field goal was kicked at the, at the yeah, the yeah, they were closer. Yeah, so we're this closer. was actually a field goal, but good thing it was like fourth and nine or something like that. But anyway, I jumped the cap, I jumped the, uh, the snap count. And as soon as I jumped the snap count, the ball wasn't height yet. I just turned around to the ref and tried to call a timeout <laughs> <laughs> in mid plate. So you were offside and you tried to call a timeout. Right. So the ball wasn't snapped yet. So I, I, I jumped the snap. I'm over the ball. Like, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. <laughs> the ref runs to me. It's like, hey, young buck, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, so they knew, Mike T knew you were trying to time it. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, they, they did a film study. Especially, you said oh, you almost blocked man. one early in the game, right? Yeah, yeah. Who sir, was the special sir. teams coach out there in AZ then? Uh, that was uh, Coach Spence. Spence, yeah, you know, Spence was from uh, from uh, Pittsburgh yeah. also. Yes, sir. So, yeah. Man, I, man, and we laughed about Coach that Spence. for so many years. As, as long as Coach Spence was our coach, you know, when you come in the spring training camp, you always show, like, stuff you did last year. Yeah. You just try to get the guys acclimated, uh, acclimated to the system. And he literally showed that play every spring, first of spring training. But it was yeah. hilarious, man. I thought that was so funny, man, when I first did that, man. <laughs> I got to check that out. We got to find that clip. All things yeah, we got to find that clip, man. We got to find Pat. that clip. <laughs> Offsides trying to call time timeout. <laughs> yeah, that was me. And you never know. They might have not caught it and gave you a timeout. I think we <laughs> I know, did we right? win. Did we win that ball game? Yeah, yeah I think we yeah, won, y'all won that game by, uh, by like three. It came down to the wire. That was uh, Mike Wallace, right? Mike Wallace had a... Mike Wallace had a, 99, a 97-yarder. Yes. Yeah, and the crazy thing about Backed it, y'all, we ran the same defense y'all ran, and y'all mm-hmm. knew it was matched up. So y'all started out in, in slot, right? And we was in like uh, 83 or something like that. Mike that Motion. Yeah, and Mike Motion back over to uh, – to uh, actually, we was in the stay call because mm-hmm. we knew he always moved a lot, but that was my assignment, so I had to go to his side. And they knew Richard Marshall would be back side, and obviously, you know, Richard Marshall, great player, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But they knew – they 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 took advantage of the mismatch because they knew I was missed I was matched up on them. So they started out in slot. Mike uh, Mike Wallace motioned back over. I think he got like on the yeah. It was a long one, three yard line, and I think he just ran like he act like he was running like a speed out and just turn that, that thing up. up. Boy, man, Ben put that thing right there. It was over. Man, Mike Wallace was. Man, Mike you know Wallace how people are fast? Speed. He was just stupid fast. Man, I played against Mike in college, man. My oh, Miss. My, yeah, my rookie, my freshman year. I was like, who is this dude? And you always <laughs> hear about, like, man, he's fast. Like, he's fast, It's different when fast. you see it, when you experience it. Right, right. When yeah. you feel it and you run it. I was like, oh, my God. I actually gave Mike Wallace uh, the nickname Crackhead Speed on, uh, <laughs> on a Dan Patrick show when the Super Bowl was in um, – in uh, uh, San Francisco, <laughs> that dude. Hey, I'm telling you, because he have no form. His form is ugly. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, he's just, he just like, awkwardly fast, like ugly. Just, not, yeah, man. And you look at in most fast guys, you can tell they're fast when you look at a Mike ain't got really no calf muscles. And he just right. he's just stupid fast, like you said. He, he crackhead fast. He looked like a uh, what's my man name that was the road runner on the show. Uh, the beat me. That's Mike. You talking about uh, 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 little beat beat. Yeah, that's my meet me. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike, man, Mike Wallace, man, it's just stupid fast, man. Shout out to yeah, Mike so. Wallace anyway. That's my whole boy, man. Got to get him yep. on the show. Yeah, we do. No doubt. All right, listen, this is time for Carlos' check-in. Uh, here's where we recap the most recent ball game with the Arizona Cardinals, and that ball game was last Thursday night on the road against a divisional opponent, the Seattle Seahawks, a primetime matchup. A lot was at stake between these two teams. The first meeting, uh, the Cardinals got the best of the Seattle Seahawks. They were able to uh, tie that series with a huge win this past Thursday, like I said, in Seattle. Final score, 28-21. to Back and forth affair, there's a good chance we could see these two teams face off again. You can look at the playoff structure and what could happen throughout the season. Uh, Big-time matchups on both sides of the football. We highlighted the matchup between Pat P. and D.K. Metcalf based on the first performance, uh, the first outing Pat P. held his on. If you look at the numbers again, second matchup. uh, Now in three career matchups, Pat P. has lined up on D.K. Metcalf, 93 routes, allowing three catches for 27 yards, on eight targets. Metcalf has gone under 50 yards receiving in just three games this season. Two are against the Arizona Cardinals and number 21 held, had that had the honor of following DK Metcalf. So when you look at that matchup, man, and not just that matchup with DK, the entire defensive matchup. I mean, it seems like you guys kind of got off to a slow start again on both sides and you got you find a way to, to get some things uh, uh, right against DK, against Russell Wilson. When you're playing against a guy like that, and you and I remember you mentioned last week on our show that you knew they were going to try to get him involved. And early on, they got him involved. They moved him around a lot. He was in the slot. He was lined up tight to, uh, tight to the line of scrimmage. And uh, they, they found a way to get him involved, moving him around. And when you look at that situation, Pat P., when you know you're supposed to be following a guy, how does that change the dynamics of the defense when players are lining up different positions and you got to kind of change on the fly? Well, honestly, you know, you know, it, 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 every every team stripped their first fifteen plays, so you have to be able to weather the storm in those first first fifteen plays because all those guys know it. They're going to nail it, and they're going to run. And they practice those plays. Yeah. So you know, after the first fifteen plays, he kind of got back into his regular position, and I knew that. And, and like I told you, I knew they were going to try to get him involved early, move him around, put him in slot. To give him give him action into the game, and once after the first drive, he he was mainly mainly the X receiver, you know what I mean. So um, I kind of uh, expected that coming in, but you know, um, you know, they did a have an opportunity to to go up against DK again. I mean, the guy's a, a, a tremendous athlete, you know. Um, he, he, I mean, he's just a, a freak of nature, you know. Yep. And, and, and he's some of the things he's able to do as a receiver, uh, most receivers can't. So. You know, um, I, th- I just think being a di- divisional opponent, you know, you you know you know your opponent, you know what they like to do, the ins and outs. So, um, you know, until next year, you know, it's going to be. I'm, I'm looking forward to another great matchup. You know, I'm sure, you know, depending on if they get a new deep uh, offensive coordinator, they, they may change some things up. But you know, uh, for the most part, we know Seattle's offense. We know exactly what they're going to do when they're going to do it. It's just you have to get. Russell off beat. You can't no allow question. him to be, you know, in the pocket because there's no – even look at that game. Russell only threw about five plays on on time, like when it was supposed to be out of his hands. For the most part, all the other plays was just like six seconds, you know, seven seconds. Yeah. And, you know, uh, for a DB, that's like our worst nightmare, having to, you know, cover somebody over, you know, five seconds because now 
we're at their disposal. They can run any route or run in, in any area of the field that, you know what I mean, that we're basically not, you know, familiar with covering because now they're in tune with their quarterback versus, you know, us being in tune with our film study saying when they come out in this two-by-two two set, I'm expecting Lions. You know, mm-hmm. it's the it's the routes after that you have you have to cover with Seattle. And on that touchdown play, you know, Buddha had to cover we was in the simple quarters coverage. You know, any other normal quarterback, stationary quarterback, you know, would have thrown that ball, you know, five seconds prior to when Russell threw it. But we was in he the held on to defense. it. Exactly. He was in the quarters defense. He started on inside the numbers on the left side of the field, ran 30 yards to the other opposite hash, then ran up into the end zone. Then not only running up into the end zone, then he ran another 15 yards away. You know what I mean? What what do you expect the guy to do to try to uh, to try to cover that? But you know, that's the things that you have to be ready for, and then you have to expect from the Seattle Seahawks because Russell is so good at that of creating that extra time and buying his receiver extra time to where they can get open and have DBs flustered because now we it's like we're chasing a damn rabbit. No question. And, and I tell you this much, a game like that, playing against that type of quarterback, you really can use a guy like in, in, in Chandler Jones. I know you guys are oh, missing no, Chandler. Yeah, we, yeah, 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 no doubt about it. I, mean, yeah, I know you're missing every, Chandler. It, it, the, 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 the proof is in the pudding. When Chandler's on the field, he averaged three sacks. Yeah, <laughs> no question. You know what I mean? No, no question. <laughs> he averaged three sacks. Every single time he played the Seattle Seahawks, he averaged three sacks. Yeah. Point blank yeah. here, and we definitely was missing a bona fide pass rusher in that in, in that game. But you know, every team can say that. You know, at the end of the day, we have to lick our wounds and we have to be prepared and ready with what we got. And mm-hmm. you know, we did we did our best, and and you have to live by that motto because it's so true. Next man up. Next, yeah, no you have, question. You have to make Can't sure that your guys, yeah, you have to make sure your guys that you know that is backing up those uh, those starters, those five stars that they can pick up the slack when it is a drop-off. So, yeah, you know, just have to lick our wounds and, and look forward to the rest of the season. Talking about improvising, Russell Wilson was able to improvise a lot in that ball game last week in Seattle. And one of the plays he was able to improvise and buy himself extra time uh, was a deep pass that involved you and DK Metcalf that they hit you with a pass interference. Me personally, it was a bang-bang play. I mean, right. me per- you got to give both individuals an opportunity to showcase what they can do. And referees... And I know people may say I'm biased. I'm a, I'm a former DB, but I can care less. I'm just speaking the facts. Referees, it seems like they're one-sided. Do you believe I the agree. NFL should add an extra referee to be able to monitor and be more precise when it comes to game-changing plays, field position like uh, plays that are changed with a blink of an eye when it comes to a flag? Because in that play, number one, that's a long time to cover, like you said. And mm-hmm. secondly, He's pushing, you're pushing. If both individuals are pushing, I think it should be fair and don't call anything at all. Do you think the NFL should think about adding an extra umpire when it comes to judgmental calls like that? I really do, Mac. And I said it last week. You know, I really do. The refs need more eyes to be able to officiate the game. Better not saying that they're not doing a great job. They're doing doing what they're – the position that they're in. Mm-hmm. They're doing what they see. They can't see the whole picture. And that's my argument. Let's put, if they can't see the whole picture, why the receivers have the advantage of, of having the referee see the whole picture, but the DB don't. And we get yeah. called for everything. You know no what question. I mean? So that's my whole thing is give these guys more eyes so we don't feel much more at, at, at a disadvantage because 
they already they gave us a challenge thing. All right, that was cool. But why did they take it away? I know the numbers were down, but well, still, why why did you take that away? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my my thing is when when DBs get dinked for a pass interference, why is it a spot foul? If a receiver get a pass interference, it's it's ten yards. Why mm-hmm. that can't be a spot foul on wherever they initiate the contact or the pass interference? You tack that on from the line of scrimmage and you mark that back. Mm-hmm. It's just not even. Like if yeah. you're gonna get, continue to give us these ref and it, 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 it got to be a give take. So if they're gonna give us that that view of the ref, it shouldn't be a spot foul no more because that is so. You, so, so, the- so you're saying it should be a spot foul the same way. Let me simplify this for our listeners and our viewers. If it's a 30 yard pass down the football field, and if it's offensive pi. That means it should be 30 yards marked going the opposite direction from the line of scrimmage. Yes, it's That's the same you, thing okay. with a DB. Yeah, so it if is, a DB it get a pass in the fence 50 yards downfield, the offense is going right where that pass in the 50 yards downfield. Yeah. So if so, my thing is, all right, take the spot file out. If the receiver gets fit, pen, uh, uh, penalized 10 yards, why we can't get penalized 10 yards? Yeah. Our job is already hard enough. We've got to play with our back against the wall. we got to run backwards against the receiver. Our job is hard enough. So why would you have the DBs, the only position on the field, to get penalized? We can, we can get the penalized the most yards out of any flag on the field. And that can change why the that? course of a game. I mean, that can no instantly put it. an you offense in field goal range. Man, you got teams that practice Hail Mary purposely to get an offensive pi i mean to get a defensive defensive, uh, defensive pi yep yep purposely yep. they just throw it up they just throw it up that's and one a, thing and w- one thing that i know you hate and any db hate we're talking to the dbs now listeners and viewers but keep it real and understand where we're coming from one thing i hate on a deep ball when they hit you with that quick extended arm to create that separation and Come they on. never call it Come and on what now. People don't understand that little quick extension knocks that's you off, knocks you off balance. Lot. And all hey. they need is a, a little bit of separation. And when they hit you with that, bam, and, and the older receivers know how to do it so well. And they never call it. They never call it. But if we did the same thing trying to make a pick, right, it's an issue. This is the worst response, and I hate when they say this. Oh, I couldn't see it. Oh, but you <laughs> see, when I supposedly – and my thing is, if that why, how was that pi? Did I did I amper, uh did I like stop him from catching that ball? He had both of his hands. Did I hug him, or did I even get there too early to for that to be a pi? Yeah, that was not a pi, and I take pride in that because, like, I always thought always as a DB, the you know clean hands is everything. Like I, yeah. I think I'm good enough to where I don't have to hold a receiver to guard him. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's why I think if, if the NFL can't give us more referees, let's just even the playing field by marking it 10 yards both ways. Yeah, instead of being a spot five. That spot five is tough. That spot I'm five is you, tough. Man, that is the worst call yeah. in the I – can, I, can, I can get P.I. I get all that. Yeah. That happens. But for it to be a spot five – yeah, that's tough. Boy, you, you're killing me, man. And, and you're talking about some of the big physical receivers that tend to push anyway. Like, right. Like, come on, man. It's, it's you crazy. Got plenty of receivers every time they run a comeback or a stop, they're pushing off every time. Got, no every question. Or they, time. or they hit you with that quick elbow, knock you off balance real quick. Every time. Every yeah. single time. Every single time. But I can tell you this much, Pat, looking at looking at your career, uh, playing with clean hands is something you've been fortunate with because it's been in the league 10 years, you only have 25 pass interference penalties called against you. So, You've been doing some good things. That's basically what 
two a game. I mean, two a year, two and a half a year. So keep playing the clean hands. But you gave up some. You gave us some real good nuggets and insight to think about going forward when you look at PIs, defensive pass interference calls. Other game notes highlight highlighting and recapping the Seattle Seahawks, Arizona Cardinals. Uh, you didn't get a chance to force any turnovers on Russell Wilson. That was a key for you guys, the first meeting. I think you forced three interceptions. Uh, he played clean football this past Thursday. That was a big key in them being able to win this ball game. Secondly, another big time note, costly penalty from Drake or Patrick. It seemed like his emotions got the best of him, wanted to really put hands on DK Metcalf. I think that penalty led to potential points. And Kyler Murray, not as effective on the ground like we've seen in weeks past. Uh, I think he only had five attempts on the ground for only 15 yards. He threw the ball pretty well, though, Pat, 289 for two passing touchdowns. Watching him playing from my view, it seemed like he wasn't really comfortable. I don't know if he was dealing with a shoulder ailment or anything like that, but when you, lo- when you watched Kyler this past Thursday, what did you see from his game plan, uh, from his game, based on what we've seen in weeks past? Um, I just think, honestly, he, he took what the, the Seattle defense was given him. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they did a great job of moving him off his spot and also having a guy in front of him, not giving him those free access, uh, assets, uh, those free lanes to mm-hmm. be able to run uh, through and, and create, you know, those big yardage on the ground. Um, I believe. Uh, uh, but overall, I thought he threw the ball very well. Like you said, yeah. 280, uh, 289 yards, two touchdowns. Um, I thought he did everything that he was supposed to do. And that's the thing about Kyler. You know, he's different from all other mobile quarterbacks, you know, he don't have to depend on his legs to get him in the game. He has a very, very strong and talented arm. And I get opportunity to watch it every, every single day. So I believe he just, he just took what they gave him. You know, yeah. he, 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 he's a guy that, like I said, uh, he's not going to run to try to force something to happen and put himself in danger of getting hurt. You know, he understands what he means to this team. He understands, uh, 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 what his body means as well, and how and, and how important that we need him to 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 end up end up finishing what we want to finish as a ball club. Um, but the Drake Kirkpatrick uh, penalty it definitely was a costly one for us. Um, but Drake, my guy, you know, I I, fight, I, I have him in my in my foxhole anytime. You no know, question. Any, anytime I'm ready to go to war, I know that he got <clears throat> he got my back. First thing he ever told me when he first got here, man, uh, he said, "Man, I'm a soldier." He said, man, it's your, he said, it's your spot. I'm a soldier and I'm ready to follow. You know, that, man, I respect that guy uh, so much, man. And, um, um, uh, like I said, I'm, I, I, I live and die with Dre my foxhole any day, man. So that was a costly penalty. He understands that. He knows that. And he and, and Dre is, is a firecracker. And, and, mm-hmm. and we love that about him. You yeah. know, it, 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 we don't want him to be anything different. We want him to be Dre. No and that's what we love about Dre is just now he understand, you know, in those pivotal moments, you know, obviously everybody wish they could take that, take that back. But Dre's a vet. We trust him. And we know the, that won't happen again. And um, moving on to Russ, um, obviously not able to force no, uh, no turnovers this, this week uh, was big for us because, you know, that's something that we dropped off the previous game what, what helped us get points, you know, helped yeah. us get back in the ball game because, we was kind of in the same situation in this ball game. Started off slow and, and was trying to scratch and claw our way back into the game. Uh, and eventually, I thought we did, and still had an opportunity to take that game into another overtime at the end. But you know, at the end of the day, it was a hard fought, um, hard fought game. And um, um, to, hats off to Seattle. We we split we split it this year one and one like we do 
probably I think for the last every year you guys split. Yeah, yeah. so um, it's it's definitely a, a rivalry that's uh, that's that's been brewing for a while. No doubt. Now, when you look at what's upcoming, right? Guys are six and four, two games above five hundred. Still in the playoff picture. Uh, you got to find a way to bounce back to get right back in the winning column, and it starts this weekend against the New England Patriots. Pat, when you look at the Patriots, they're in unfamiliar territory right now. They're two games below five hundred, four and two. Uh, Bill Belichick, I don't know if he's – I can't remember the last time he, he's been below five hundred during the middle of the season, but currently that's their position right now. You're playing against your draft mate, Cam Newton. Uh, Number-wise, number he has 1,900 yards throwing through the air, four passing touchdowns, seven interceptions, but he has nine rushing TDs. And I don't know if you knew, knew about this stat. He just completed his first – passing touchdown to a wide receiver this past weekend against the Texans in the loss against the Texans ball game. So clearly he's been relying on other pass catchers in the red zone. So looking at this ball game, very, very important ball game for both teams involved. Clearly you guys are trying to stay in that playoff conversation. The Patriots, they're trying to get into the playoff conversation. What do you guys need to do to have success against the Patriots offense, especially looking at the struggles they've been having with the connection with the quarterback and the wide receiver in the red zone? You know, we have to, uh, we have to make sure that we're, um, we stop the run you know, mm-hmm. first and foremost, because I believe the Patriots are right now averaging like 160 plus yards on the ground. Um, so I think that's going to be very, very important uh, for us to be successful as a defense. We have to stop the run and, and force uh, Cam Newton uh, to to throw the ball, you know. Yeah. And as an offense, they uh, we know Bill Belichick is like a defensive guru. He's going to take away what you do best. So we're going to need all hands on deck on the offensive side of the ball to where we can start forcing you know New England and uh, and to be you know situations that they've been in for the most part of the season, finding a way, trying to call back into the games. And I believe if we're able to do that, you know, our, our chances of winning will, will, will go up a little bit. So. Um, we know we're gonna they're gonna heavily rely on Cam. Uh, you know they haven't shown any read options. I'm I, I, I'm kind of expecting that. Yeah, uh, yeah. From, from and also them, too, you know. D- Damian Harris. He's he's been toting it. Exactly. Yeah, he, he's been so running. Now, now you got now you kind of figuring out what you got with uh with Damian Harris in the background. I believe he's averaging. I mean, in the backfield. I believe he's averaging like five point one yards a carry. Um, and you get you get Sony back. You know, so you know they they're getting their uh, they're getting their backfield back, and I believe uh, Bill Belichick is going to cater to the best unit on his football team. And right now, the offensive line is the best unit on his football team. So you're going to find a way to run behind those cows. We have to make sure that we do a great job of stopping that to force them to uh, to put the ball in the air. You're you're listening to All Things Covered, Patrick Peterson, Brian McFadden. Make sure you stay tuned. We got Jimbo Fisher joining us a little later in the show to talk about the A&M Aggies, Texas A&M Aggies, his coaching career and some other fun stories. So make sure you stay tuned. But now we're talking about the the next matchup between the Arizona Cardinals and the New England Patriots. And when you look at this matchup, you talked about your defense against their offense. But your offense versus their defense. They're gonna be a, it's going to be a big-time matchup in the secondary. Stephon yeah. Gilmore, uh, DeAndre Hopkins from the show, joined us a few weeks ago. Make sure you tune, tune in and check that episode out if you haven't seen it yet. When you see these type of matchups, Pat, that you're not involved in, do you become a fan of the game when you're on the sideline, when you're not going through your defensive adjustments to kind of see <laughs> these two guys go toe-to-toe? Uh, I definitely watch the matchup, you know, because I'm a I'm a I'm a fan of the game. You know, I love to see you know that competitive edge from one another. You know, D Hop coming back to the sideline, 
you know, saying what he had to say about, you know, such and such and, you know, obviously watching it on the field. It's a beautiful thing to watch, you know, yeah. and that's what I believe to me. That's what the game is all about. Fierce competitors going at each other's neck. You know, and I believe that's where you a- are able to grow your reputation. That's where you're able to to be, you know, known as, you know, something. I be- And honestly, Calvin Johnson said, you know, he can respect the guy that that, that does mm-hmm. that because yeah. at the end of the day, it, it's Imano on Imano. And, you no know, um, that's what it's all about. So I'm definitely watching. I'm always watching. Like, like uh, what, two weeks ago when, when Tredavious came to town, you know, yeah. I was definitely watching, you know, wanted to see how he moved in press. I wanted to see, you know, how he handled, you know, Hop when he tried to do that pull through, you know. You know, maybe he could have helped me be, with me being ten years in the game. I'm I'm not done learning. I want to learn. I want to learn every every opportunity that I can. You know, yeah. uh, 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 you know, while I'm still in the game, because you know, watching your peers and, and watching the way other guys move, they always can better your game because now you want to figure out how he did that. You know what I mean? How how he was able to stay square when you know uh, Hop or you know um, whoever it may be gave him such and such a such and such at the line of scrimmage. It's, mm-hmm. it's things like that that when it when it's those type of matches that um that I that I get intrigued about and, and be wanting to watch on the sideline for sure. Yeah. Now listeners, it's time for around the league. This is where we recap and talk about other big time stories throughout the National Football League. It was a huge story leading into the ball games this past Sunday. The Saints Sean Payton decided to name and go with Taysom Hill as a starting quarterback against the Atlanta Falcons over Jameis Winston. Uh, that decision kind of blew a lot of people away. People were confused because of the lack of experience Taysom has when it comes to throwing the football as a, as a pure quarterback compared to the experience that Jameis has. But that decision, 18 for 23, 233 yards, no passing touchdowns, but he ran the ball for 10 times for 51 yards. He had two rushing touchdowns. Uh, he resulted to a big-time win against the divisional four in the Atlanta Falcons. It looks like Taysom Hill got comfortable as the game went on. I don't know if you got a chance to see that ball game, but uh, he presents a different element at the quarterback position, you know, similar to what you guys have in Arizona with Kyler, Lamar in Baltimore, uh, even Josh Allen in Buffalo. But the thing about Taysom Hill he is a pure football player playing quarterback. Those guys are legit quarterbacks that have Correct. other <laughs> skill sets that can really help them and elevate their game. Taysom Hill is a football player. You want a guy that can tackle, play special teams, and run in a wall? That's who he is. And he's maybe like that high school player. Yeah, he, he's that high school player that, that's <laughs> super cock strong and just do it all. Right. And, and and that's how he goes about his business. And that's why he's been so successful in the National Football League. But it seemed like Sean Payton knew something. Were you surprised when you heard that decision that Taysom Hill would be the starting quarterback? Man, honestly, I low-key, I was very, very surprised. Yeah. But when I sat back and I thought about it, I was like, well, you know, Taysom was there for what, two years? Well, almost yeah. three now, right? Uh, yeah, but I think about three years, if not, maybe three, three or four years. So he's been there a while. He had an opportunity to develop him. He already got a, a whole b- a arsenal of a package with him. No question. Yes, sir. So I was like, why not throw him for a loop? Yeah. Because now you don't know what to you don't know what to train. You don't know what to um to 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 uh to um to train um to prepare for. Yeah. You never seen him at quarterback. You never seen these other different formations that that they're going to bring. So now you going into the game plan like. What the hell do I call? <laughs> like the defensive coordinator, I guarantee he was scratching his head the whole time. 
Yeah, because you didn't know what got, to expect. You got, you got no tape on them. No question. You have no, no tape. tape. You got to go back to the college days, BYU days. Exactly. If you want tape. And, and, and I believe that Taysom, he knows the system. He's been in a room with Drew Brees. He understood how to prepare. I think they groomed him to a quarterback. Yeah. I and really also, too, they, groomed him they had to justify the that contract. Gave him two years, $21 million. You got to justify that contract. But I can tell you this right. much, too. You can tell how the trend is starting to really change. Teams are looking for that mobile athletic quarterback now. Right. I mean, because exactly. of the success that your guys have in Kyler Murray, other quarterbacks, yeah. Lamar uh, Jackson, even a mobile guy like Pat Mahomes. You know what I mean? Right. If you can throw the fo- football just a little bit and be smart with the football and oh, you got good. athleticism, you're going to oh, be good. good. The no league has the, the dynamics of the quarterback position is starting to change right before our eyes. And Taysom Hill could be the next big thing if Sean Payton continues to groom him. Because one thing about Sean Payton, man, that man can make sweet tea without sugar. Man, I'm trying to say, man. <laughs> when it comes That's to dialing up plays and drawing up schemes, he don't need any sugar for sweet tea. He can go ahead and give you a batch of tea with no sugar, and that thing I'm tastes sweet as ever. <laughs> no question. Farmer. No question, no question. And outside of that new of the uh, of that news coming from New Orleans, most recently, uh, the Ravens had to shut down their facility. A few players uh, tested positive, so they had a COVID shutdown. The thing about this new this information, why it's so intriguing, listeners and viewers, is because the Ravens they play this Thursday night, Thanksgiving. This is an important ball game. Yeah. Against the Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh already have a game in hand. They beat the Ravens a few weeks ago in Baltimore. The Ravens are not only trying to stay relevant in the AFC race, Pat, but they're trying to stay relevant in the AFC North because right. the Cleveland Browns just won. The Ravens lost to the Tennessee Titans. They can't afford to lose another ball game. not to mention trying to uh, limit the separation from the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you're trying to create separation from the Cleveland Browns. And you were involved, not necessarily in this same situation, Pat, a few weeks ago, but you had a few p- players that tested positive as well. Talk about the difficulty in going through that. But you guys had a normal week. You were going to play on Sunday. The right. Ravens, they got to play on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's difficult, you know, <laughs> going through that protocol when someone is tested, you know, positive uh, for the COVID. COVID-19 um but getting prepared for it for uh through a short week is even more difficult <laughs> is it only is it only those two run uh only the two running backs right I think it or was it more I think it was two running backs I think it was a defense alignment but I heard they shut down the entire facility so yeah. on a short week and you can and you can uh talk about this you you, you really practice on Monday because you play on Thursday right <laughs> Yeah, so, so they didn't think, have it. They, they had to shut down the facility on the first rep day, getting ready for Thursday night football. Right, and and I think that that's the toughest part because now, like you said, they they shut down the facility. Although you really don't practice, you know, yeah, throughout yeah, those yeah, yeah Monday's days, not that big of still, a big of a day, yeah, right? But you still need to be able to see it. Like me, I'm I'm a guy that like to be out there with everybody on the field. I want to be in that moment, yeah. and I think that's going to be the, the 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 toughest part. Um, if they play this game, it's going to be it's going to be on the trust of his. Uh, 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 I believe uh, John believing that his team would get mentally prepared for this ball game um, because I believe if I mean I have no understanding of how they go about of action teams that they want to play. Or if it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think if it if, if it did come down to a decision, it's going to come down to you know Coach Harbart really you know having his trusting his intuition of. You know, is his guys, you know, studying and preparing the way they need to home mentally 
so that if we do play this game, we'll be ready because I'm sure that although the facility is, is shut down, they still are able to do Zoom meetings <laughs> to get the game plan and things like that. I can tell you this much. The Ravens going to they're going to do everything in their power to have this game move to Sunday. No, they go they so? gonna, no, they go try to. Yeah, because if they don't <laughs> practice, and like you said, Monday is not a big prep day. Usually it's Tuesday. Tuesday is the main day. If they don't practice tomorrow, if they're not oh, yeah. able to practice tomorrow, he's going to try to do everything in their power to move because this is an important ball game now for Steeler Nation. They can care less than anything about that. If you shorthanded, oh well, nobody cares, right? Right. Steeler Nation going to want to play. They're going to do everything in their power to not play. So me personally, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't practice on Tuesday. Uh, hmm, they try to push this thing back to uh, Sunday instead of Thursday night football. Last big news I would like to hit on with you, Pat P. Miami Dolphins, team that was trending in the right direction. Still, I believe they're trending in the right direction. Visited uh, the Denver right. Broncos. Uh, Tua Tungvaluwa is a big-time talk throughout the National Football League with how well he's been playing, being able to win ball games and come up clutch in big-time moments. Got bitched. Now, right. he got benched, not because he was injured. He got benched because Brian Flores said he felt like Ryan Fitzpatrick gave them a better opportunity to win. And Tua got beat up a little bit. They sacked him two times. Uh, I'm sorry, six times. Uh, he was 11-20 for 83 yards, one touchdown. And when he got benched, it wasn't like it was a, they were blown out. They were only down seven points. They lost 20 uh, to, I'm sorry, 20 to 17. I think they were down three points or something like that. I can't remember exactly the score, but they only lost by three points. So hearing that news and knowing your quarterback, the future face of the franchise, wasn't injured. If you were part of the of that roster or you were on that defense and you heard the news that they just moved him because they felt like Ryan Fitzpatrick gave them a better opportunity, what is that telling you? Uh, man, honestly, man, Matt, when I saw – they bench Ryan. I believe they was playing the Jets, if I'm not mistaken. That was after the Jets, if I'm not. Yeah, that was his last no, start. Right, but they benched him during that game. Oh no, they didn't bench him. They they let he finished Tua the game play a little bit. No, no, yeah. they let Tua play that game, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, yeah, because they blew out the Jets from not. Yeah, they blew out the Jets oh, and Tua so came that's in. That's what I'm saying. So when they came out and said that they're going to name Tua the starter, I was like, damn, why would you do that? Like because I believe Fitz was playing some great football. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we know Fitz is a gun a gunslinger. You know, you know who you're signing. So, you, so you, at some point, you have to be able to live, you know, with some of the the things that he do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. but at, at the end of the day, I believe he gave you the best opportunity to win right now because you got to think about it, two of coming off an injury, didn't have an off season, and like it's all mayhem right now. So why would you put your rookie quarterback in that situation now and now bench him? So now that's going to mess up his whole. And they said that he will be the starter this week. So he's right, right back in the starting lineup. So that's what I'm saying. So now, now you, now as a quarterback, I don't know if they playing psychological games, but now why would you want to have your young quarterback not looking over his shoulder? Yeah. Yeah. Why would you I want mean, him like, man, if I, if I mess this up today, am I going to be benched? Now he, yeah. not, not, not knowing to it, not saying that he's going to do that, but yeah. for, you know, most most rookies, you know, he may be like, you know, the hell with that. Now I'm, I'm about to go out and do my thing, and and I'm, I'm wishing him the best of luck and hoping that he he do do that. But psychologically, for the eighty percenters, because I believe you know most guys that the great is twenty percent of the people who played in this game are great. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean, the other eighty percenters are just you know it's good players, but the great ones are different and they're wired different. But Tua could possibly be that. But as, what I'm saying is, I, I, I don't think that 
from the get go, that was the best team for the move, uh, best move for the team. Yeah, at that time. Because at that time, because it wasn't like fits. He, he just played the uh, uh, the Forty Nineers and put up fifty. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were rolling. They were rolling. It was and, rolling. So I'm and, like, why would you do that? I think if 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 you were concerned for his health and the, his safety, just seeing what happened with Joe Burrow, then come out and say that. You know, right. they sacked them. They, come, they sacked them six times. Uh, they hit him a lot. If you felt like the offensive line just was, they, they they didn't have it that day, and we wanted to protect our young quarterback they going forward, that. they just come out and say that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's saying that you believe Fitz gave you a better opportunity. And at the time, you only down three or four points, whatever the case was. Right. What are you saying about Tua My against exactly. adversity? Right. Right. Now, now you want to see how your young quarterback operates in this, in, in this matter. You want to see if he can bring you back. So now when you get in the playoff, now you won't have no, no worries of like, all right, I'm confident in him. I've seen him do it before. Yeah. You know what I mean? So why, I, I, was, I didn't see that. I didn't watch that game. Because I didn't watch no football this this weekend, I was with my babies every yeah. single day. So I soaked up that time with my girls. But when I saw the news and I, and I and, and, and I saw how it went down, I'm like I'm scratching my head. I'm like, man, like that can kill a young guy confidence like no other, like no, no other. Yeah, it was it was surprising, and we well, I guess we got to see exactly what uh, they have in store. I don't know who they play this week. I think they but two play... gonna bounce back, man. But you know, I, I think they play the Jets. So if they play the Jets, yeah, no question. You got them, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I just, yeah, <laughs> I think he should the have. Jets. He should have. Should have at least two fifty because that's another thing. I have not yet seen. I don't think he's thrown over two hundred yards yet. Well, he hasn't have. To, he hasn't had to. Uh, we look at uh, how they've been winning ball games defensively, been scoring yeah. points, giving them a short field, and special teams. They've been scoring points yeah. all, uh, on that end as well. So this was his first piece of adversity, and I, and I wanted to see exactly how exactly. he handled. I mean, we all wanted to. Yeah, but they didn't give him the opportunity to. Yeah, well, because initially when I saw, I thought I thought they pulled him out because he was hurt. Yeah, but no, then when I saw okay. the news, yeah, exactly. Then when I saw, I was like, oh man, because the, the tackle he did get hit on, he was it looked it like looked it looked ugly, pretty, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. So I thought yeah. he was, I thought he got hurt, but then yeah. hearing the news, they said, yeah, "Come on, man, yeah, come on." And other stuff outside of the NFL, we love basketball. The NBA free agents uh, agency period started last week. We saw some big time news. Me and Pat, we're big Laker fans. We had J.R. Smith on the show. If you didn't get a chance to check that episode out, please do. Outstanding episode with J.R. Smith, champion with the Los Angeles Lakers. Man, the Lakers had a big time uh, uh, free agency period, in my opinion. And we still got to sign the big fish, which is Anthony Davis. And we're going to do that. But just looking at what the Lakers have done, and I'm sorry, listeners and viewers, if you're not a Laker fan, just just bear with us, okay? Just just bear with us and rock with with us. The Lakers signed Montrez Harold, stole him from the Clippers, got Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder. We signed back Markeith Morris, Wesley Matthews. That's a real under the radar oh, signing. Man. This could be big, and be Mark great. Mark Gasol. I mean, looking He's at what the Lakers. Home. Yes, he's coming back home. Remember, he got drafted by, by the Lakers. Never yeah. played one, one, uh, one game there, but he got drafted in L.A. Well, looking at the Lakers right now, I believe they have a better roster now than what they had last year that won a championship. Exactly. Man, how excited are you about the Lakers and what they're doing? And Rob Palenka just making in, coming in with the clutch with big-time moves. And, man, Rob is making it happen, man. And I, and I love <laughs> to see it because, you know, when you, when, you, when, you, when you got the king, 
for God knows how much longer we got him. But we know the king is comfortable in the finals. So no question. We got to make, hey, we got to make him, we got to put the best players around him at all times so the king can get us where we need to be. And that's in the championship every single year. But um, I believe I believe Wesley Matthews was a, a steal uh, to me because I believe it's, a, it's an upgrade uh, to me in, uh, from Danny Green. I believe he'll give mm-hmm. us a little bit more than Danny Green gave us. And Danny Green hit, hit some big shots for us, you know, uh, I believe it was in the third round of Western yeah. Conference Finals, some big threes late in, the, uh, in that series to get us over the hump. Um, but I think uh, Wesley uh, is, a, is a little bit more aggressive on the defensive end. And he can give you those buckets, those 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 nasty buckets, though. You know, take it to the rim. Yeah. And he got a, he got outside range, which is uh which is good for us as well. But uh, getting getting Mark back, uh, obviously losing Dwight, um, mm-hmm. uh, will be big. But getting Mark back, a guy who can stretch the floor a little bit, I think is going to be huge for him because you know Mark Mark can hit that you know that that seventeen footer, that twenty one footer, uh, versus you know Dwight, you can. You know he's he's kind of like a, a defensive player on the field, so that that's given us an extra um, offensive player, like a bona fide offensive player, yeah, on the court. So um, I, I'm loving what we're doing, man. I'm I'm hoping that we can doggone it go to the st- to uh, fans Staples. to be allowed because I can't wait to get the showtime, man. God, man, no question that. Man. Hopefully things are a little better, man. Because right now I don't think they have any fans, but hopefully by April or May, you know they change some of those restrictions, man. But yeah. It's a great time to be a Lakers fan. Shout out to all the Laker haters. We see you, but we don't hear you. <laughs> At all. Now, it's time, to, it's time to toss to halftime. Get ready for halftime. Uh, but on the opposite side of halftime, the other side, when we come back, we'll be joined by Jimbo Fisher, head coach, Texas A&M Aggies. He's going to chop it up with us here. All things covered. Brian McFadden, Patrick Peterson. Stay tuned. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. What's up, listeners, viewers? We're back. We're back from halftime. We got opportunity to hydrate, get right back on the gridiron. And like we promised you guys earlier in the show, we will have an outstanding guest joining us. That guest is an outstanding individual a, a, and a guy that I respect on and off the football field. He's one of the best in the world at what he does. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, head coach, 
Texas A&M, currently ranked fifth in the country, uh, 2013 national champion at Florida State University. Uh, right now, got the Aggies rolling from top to bottom, man. It's an honor, Jimbo, to have you join us here on All Things Covered. And you're actually the second head coach to join us here on our show. The first head coach, Mike Tomlin, uh, he's doing some pretty good things. So we tend to think we have been the rabbit foot for a lot of our guests. All of our guests have been doing some extraordinary things in their profession, uh, and we think that will continue continue to follow so hopefully that follows you and the Aggies uh, throughout the rest of the year but appreciate you joining us here coach how you been been great man hey I'll take that you know that in coaching I'll take all the luck all the skill all everything involved to get wins like that and no question funny, hey funny, coach a lot of people don't understand it's not just about being good you got to be lucky as well that ball got to bounce right too now you're exactly right and you know yeah, the so, thing about that is Mike and I coached together really we were, on, we were on staff together at University of Cincinnati me and Mike are friends me and Mike are good friends we're friends yes Very good I didn't friends. know you was on that staff See, when he first came there, I was the OC. When I left Auburn, in between Auburn and LSU, I went there as the OC. I was a very young guy there for one year. He commands a secondary coach. We used to battle one-on-ones, everyday quarterback receivers, and DBs. He was coaching DBs. But me and Mike were on the same staff back then together. I knew he was going to be a great coach, and we, we stayed friends ever since. Also, Keith Butler, wasn't he on that staff as well? Keith wasn't there when I was there. Keith wow. wasn't there when I was there. Yeah, yeah. You know, Rex, Rex and, Ryan had just left. Rex Ryan was there, and he had just left. Rex so was, all you guys were at Cincinnati? Yeah, he was there before. Uh, Keith Willis, old great Steeler, that was on mm-hmm. there. He was a defensive line coach. Uh, Larry Zerline, who coached at Pittsburgh when y'all were there, he was an offensive line coach there at the time. Wow. We, had a, we had a heck of staff. Amos Jones, we had a bunch of guys. Man, and I, and I consider myself to be a historian of the game for guys in my age bracket. I did not know all of those iconic names were tied to Cincinnati Bearcat football. Think about that. It was, you I learn was, something new every day. Yep. Yeah, so we're going to get into the nitty-gritty when it comes to your coaching career, Coach. But before we do that, you were also considered to be a real top-tier quarterback. Going back to your college days at Sanford University, I think you were you were all national player of the year, 1987. And, I, and I've seen you on the sideline getting to the quarterbacks, Coach, and you expect nothing but the most out of your quarterbacks. But what kind of quarterback were you at Sanford University? Well, we threw it. Now, Sanford's here before. I was at Salem College before that for three years. Okay. I was an All-American, was an All-American Aaron player of the year in the conference for a couple of years. And then, because Terry Bowden was the head coach there then, that was his first job ever. He was at Salem College. Uh-huh. We, had, we had 13 Division One transfers in it. Orson Mobley, Allendale Camp, three from Florida State. All started at Florida State. All played in the NFL. Jeff Shaw, we had about 13 guys. We all transferred in. I was on a baseball scholarship at that time, believe it or not, at Clemson. Oh, so you played baseball as well? And played baseball at Clemson. We went back to Salem for three years. And Terry uh-huh. left to go to Sanford and got me to go back down there and play. But we threw it around. We ran the Florida State offense. We threw it all over the yard. We threw it, ran it, ran a little option. But we threw the heck out of it and, uh, you know, had really good receivers. And whatever Florida State was doing, that's what we were doing. <laughs> wow. And it makes a lot of sense now because if you listeners and viewers haven't watched Jimbo coach, he coaches quarterbacks hard. We it's do. no surprise because that's the most important position on the football field. But you can tell you have something personally invested in that position, and it shows. I always believe this. If your quarterback's not the toughest guy on the team, your team's not tough. And he, uh-huh. he, he's not a very competitive guy. You can look at all the great teams, all the great quarterbacks. They're, the, they're as good a competitor as you ever play with. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they don't get to go hit. But, and, and to take that responsibility of touching the football each and every play, Everybody in that stadium, everybody on your team knows you touch it. you got to value that. You can't have mental lapses. And my biggest thing is to make practice harder than games mm-hmm. and to put the pressure on guys. Because the thing you can't simulate from practice to game is pressure. Yeah. So we try to do it in practice. Every practice, everything we do. And if, and if I always believe this. 
If you create great habits in practice, when pressure comes, your habits are coming straight to the surface. So if you're used to dealing with pressure, you're used to making every snap for a championship in practice, when a game comes, it doesn't bother you and you can execute and play. Mm, I like that. That's a real good coaching nugget. So real quick, talking about that, Coach, if you're coaching a kid and you see he struggles with pressure in practice, how will, how will you evaluate that same player when it comes to playing on Saturday? Well, and also, why? Here, here's what I was saying. Why? Why, do you, why? why are you struggling with pressure? Is it Because most guys who feel pressure usually don't know what they're doing. I always mm-hmm. say this. When you know the answer to the test, the te- everybody hates taking the test. Am I going to fail it? Am I going to pass it? Yeah. Against school. Well, if I know the answer to the test, there's no pressure. So I tell you, a lot of it goes back to preparation. Are you fundamentally sound? Are you mentally sound? Do you, do you know the X and O's? Do you know, really know where you're going with the ball? And get to the bottom. And you got to figure out one other thing. How does the guy learn? Because if how he learns, you got to teach it that way. And if he if, this, if he can't fulfill read it, if he can only two man read it, three man read it, well then you got to you got to change your teaching and how you and what you do on offense to put it into what he can do. Because listen, yeah. he's got to execute it, not me. And then and then make sure he understands. Right, you understand what we do. Then you put pressure. And if he can't handle that, you can't play. But at the same time, you got to get to know the key. Everybody's different. I coach all of them different. Sometimes I'm hard on some of them. Some of them I'm not. Some yeah. of them I will hug them for a while. Then then and then teach them different. Give them different reads. Do different things with them. But you got to figure them out. I love it. I look, coach, you get me fired up. You know, I've been retired for quite some time, but you might make me put my cleats on. I love guys, it. I love guys, it. Like you cause us headaches. Yeah, you were covering them all. <laughs> so coach shortly after your career ended uh playing at Sanford University quarterback there you eventually got into the coaching ranks yep. your first big big opportunity outside of Cincinnati clearly when you talk about being able to have a command on a positional group uh was at LSU and at that time LSU was being coached by Nick Saban you know some consider him the greatest of all time currently still coaching at Alabama but what was that experience like because Nick Saban at that time is not the same Nick Saban that we see week in and week out he nah. was in that uh, di- in that trajectory of going, ascending to being an outstanding, iconic, like coaching individual. But at that time, he was not the Nick Saban that we see now. But what was that experience like for you? Well, it was very, it was very enlightening. But here's the thing: the thing I was blessed with, and I got the job at Sanford when I got done. That's the first place I coached at for Terry, mm-hmm. and that's left. And I went to Auburn for six years. See, I was a quarterback coach and coach at Auburn for six years, and then we went to Cincinnati for one. And then that's how actually how Nick saw me that year. We played. Wisconsin in 19 in uh, 1999 Wisconsin won the Rose Bowl with Ron mm-hmm. Dane and won the big Ron game. Dane we were a 31 point underdog and we beat him yeah in Cincinnati we upset him so he got to see the film the next week we go to Ohio State in the big house and we put 550 yards on Ohio State in the big house we had them down 17 to nothing and they come back and beat us and actually what happened I don't know if you remember you would remember this about your age there was they had an outside linebacker named Nigel Diggs Nigel Diggs yeah played in the league for a long time we ran a little X cross pack. We ran a little high low dig, which is which the Colts number one throw. Twelve yard dig, X on the cross. Marvin mm-hmm. Harris on the cross. High low. They're gonna they're gonna make you take one or the other. And we we ran it on the fifteen yard line going in. Our inside slot goes to get off the ball, and Nigel jams it. Well, the X can't get through, so he just goes behind and we hit him. We go up in the game with about four minutes to go. They call mm-hmm. it back. Said illegal pick. It wasn't an illegal <laughs> pick. He couldn't get off the line of scrimmage. <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> that's where he saw us. And then bringing in Nick. Nick was young. But the thing he, he really taught me, I had to bow an influence behind me. I understood yeah. how to deal with people, how to recruit. Great offensive schemes we had at Florida State and uh, Auburn because of the Florida State scheme. Yeah. But what Nick was was so organized in the mental part of the game, the mental, the psychological disposition of guys, how to approach them, mental health. We deal a lot with that. Organization was very organized and structured. And that really helped me, I thought, at a young age to really – I had a lot of knowledge, but then you got to sort it out, how to apply it, how to coach it, how to – 
how to put it in a game plan mode. And that, that was a, another big influencing part for me. What, what does he do so well that gets his assistants in positions to be eventually head coach, well, head coaches? I, I mean, I think if you do, it depends if you pay attention or not. He's very detailed. He's very rigorous. He's going to drive you. He's going to push you in recruiting, coaching, being detailed. And going to, I know, which is, he and I, I hate to say this, we had the same philosophy. We, we think, we, I think he and I got along so well because we philosophically thought the same things. Yeah. We like the same kind of players in evaluation. And we really looked at the game very similarly. And what he told me to do was not, I looked at it that way, but how to structure it and organize it so you could teach it, coach it, and get it in your game plan each and every week and how you broke your film down and the way you looked at things. I think that was a big part of it. What's one thing that you learned from Nick Saban that you still uh, carry with you today as a head coach? And I think mental health is a very under underutilized part of the game and helping yep. guys with their mental health and, and dealing with the stresses of the world today because they're a hundredfold compared to 25 years ago because of social media, all the things that go on in guys' life. And I think yep. helping the guys, not just the football part, I think helping them with their mental health and how they look at things and deal with things and put them in perspective where they, they understand there's pressure, but they understand that pressure is a good thing and they can feel it. And then they can still perform when they have to, when they have to perform it, it doesn't bind them up. Yeah. And you were at LSU for quite some time, I think yeah. from 2000 to 06. And you had an yep. opportunity of being around some talented players. I mean, you oh, guys yeah. recruited Florida. Well, Louisiana, Texas. I mean, of course, you know, you, you were getting the who's of who and you look at what you've had, what you were around at that time in Baton Rouge coach. What was the best Give me the best quarterback you coach. Oh, the wow. most talented. Well, I guess that's easy. That's too easy. I know you're going to take Jamarcus, right? Well, talent-wise, yes. I mean, he was – and he was – Jamarcus was – Jamarcus only lost three or four games as a starter for me in uh-huh. years. 28 touchdowns, five picks. But so you, you could coach a 1,000 years and never coach somebody to throw football like that. And here's the thing. The, the, the mental part of the game for me, he had three, four play checks. He had protect. He, he, he changed Mike. He did everything for me. He was brilliant. He was, he was mentally very sharp. I would. I, I didn't understand him not having as much success. Up, I don't know what happened, but mentally, all the guys I've had. I mean, he was right there with all of them. But Rohan, Rohan Davy was man, was a very productive. Uh, Miami product, Dave County. Highly uh, Miami. H- yeah, Highly HML. HML. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I had Josh Booty and him early. Matt Mock was a really good player for me. We won the national championship. He only he was he only lost like two games as a starter. I had Matt Flynn. I signed Flynn. I signed Matt Flynn and Jamarcus in the same year. Mm-hmm. Met them both there at the same year. I mean, all the, I mean to say which they were different, but they were also successful. I mean, all of them played in the league. Every one of them played in the NFL. Every one of them got drafted. Yep. Marcus, of course, was the first pick of the draft. I mean, uh, but we had some talented guys. Receive. We were loaded across the board. Is it safe to say? And I don't want to put words in your mouth, Coach. But would you consider Jamarcus Russell to be the most talented quarterback yes. you've ever coached? The most physical guy. You and you. You make. You make. You may coach a thousand years and never play somebody that big, that strong that can throw a football like that and have touch on the ball and also could run. You don't, people don't realize he was athletic. He could run, man. He mm-hmm. could move. I mean, you, I mean, he's, he's on a 300 pound frame. He's a six, six, he's a 290 pound D end is really wow. what he is. I mean, he's on that same frame. Wow. Outside of the quarterback position, you got guys, like you said, had a lot of talented players. Uh, give me your top three most talented players that was there at Baton Rouge when you were there. I'm going to tell you, if football-wise on offense, Michael Clayton's one of the best pure football players I've ever been around. Wow. Michael was the first. Michael he, had that, Clayton, he had that dog also. Let me tell you something. Michael was a better safety than he was a wideout. 
Michael's really? The best, Michael's the best safety I ever watched on film. Coming he's out of high school. Hits. He's got hits on film, high school film. He detached about eight guys from helmets. One of them rolled 22 yards from where the guy hit. Guy went down. Got, took him Wait, out he was from trip. Tampa, right? Was it? No, 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 no. Mike was from Baton Rouge. Baton went, Rouge, okay. He, he played he, at Tampa. I, re- I recruited Michael and Marcus Spears. They were best friends. Uh-huh. Third and fourth ranked players in the country. And I, I recruited them both out of Baton Rouge. Took me a year to get them on campus. Because no, 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 those guys, Michael was going to Florida State. See, that's when Choo Choo, you remember uh, uh, Warwick Dunn's coach, his, his Pee Wee coach. Yeah. Was, uh, there and, and all the way, Michael was going to Florida State mm-hmm. and uh, Spears was going to Miami. That's where really? they were going when we got there. Recruiting. And Spears used to play offense too in high school, correct? Spears, I recruited him as a tight end. Tight end, yeah. Yep. Spears is a big time basketball player. But then you had, listen, you got into Devery Henderson. Man, Devery could fly. Joe had died, yeah. Justin Vincent, and Bruce Hard. Toefield, and you had uh, uh, Dwayne Bowe. Mm-hmm. From Dwayne, Miami, New Orleans. Yeah, I recruited him there. You had Buster Davis, early set, Skyler Green. Our skill guys, when they touched the ball, Joe, I mean, they, it, was, it was ridiculous. Andrew Whitworth. See, mm-hmm. Whitworth was in that. They were on the same class. There was like wow. Travis, Travis Daniels from South Broward. Right yeah, there South there. Broward, I Hollywood, Florida. I recruited uh, Travis out of South Broward. Uh, that whole set. Uh, Corey Webster. Mm-hmm. Corey Webster. I found Corey Webster, we found a week before signing day. Really? Yeah. I was watching another player accidentally took my film off the thing. Coach said, watch this receiver from West St. John. I said, coach, he's a good player. And I was watching the film. Somebody walked in, I took my finger off the film. And, and uh, I, didn't, I went aside ah, that team's on offense. I went to hit it. And the quarterback on St. James from St. James, he ran around the corner. I said, man, he's a good player. So I start watching him. Nick said, How's that? who's that receiver? I said, he's okay. But there's a quarterback at St. James. We need to look at it. It was two weeks before signing day. Called down. He had one offer, Southern Miss. Wow. Found a diamond in the rough. And now he became a two-time All-American. Played 13 years in the league. Yeah, I mean, Super Bowl we, we, champion. Super Bowl champion. Took flight. I mean, we were gifted, man. We we yeah. had some, we were in the same draft class. Wow, so a lot we, of names, a lot of names you're throwing out. I remember because we were. I was at Florida State with yeah, a lot of those guys. You, you wouldn't come. I remember. Well, at the time, <laughs> hey, hey, coach. At the time, LSU wasn't really making kicking down doors. You're right. You're like, right. Like 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 there are now, and then especially like when you guys got there, you guys kind of changed the dynamics of LSU football. Let's keep it real. When you were there, with, along with Nick Saban and the rest of you guys, you just talked about some big name recruits that you guys were able to funnel through that program. We were fortunate. We got good players, and we, we recruited very well. And then the second class there, we had the number one class. Our first year, we did got Devery and Stephen Peterman, a bunch of guys in. And next week, we had Whitworth and. All that whole run of Clayton and Spears and, I mean, that whole run. Ben Wilkerson who won the Remington. I mean, we had all kind of guys on that team. And Joe Adai was in that group. Travis is in that group. Uh, and we had, and we had that number one class, and we, we won that second year, and then it kind of took off. And, and mm-hmm. we, then we started to get that national. We recruited in-state and got national. And, and, of course, LSU took off, and it was a very fun time. Yeah. Very fun time. And because of your success you had there, um, not just recruiting, but winning ball games and putting up, you know, top tier numbers offensively, you got an opportunity to travel down to Tallahassee. Yep. Uh, you, and early in your career, I think when you look at being surrounded by greatness, it has no, you have no, it has no other choice but to become c- contagious, right? Yep. Saban and then Bobby Bowden going down to Tallahassee, and, t- and we all knew Bobby was closer to the end of his career, coaching career, than the beginning. But talk about that experience, you know, leaving Nick Saban and then being able to coach with the legendary Bobby Bowden. See, here's the thing. I, I was with the Bowden fan. Everybody accused me of being a Bowden for years because I used to hang. When I was back at Sanford, I used to go to bowl games with Florida State. Mm-hmm. They would put me up, and I'd watch them coach, learn to coach. When I first got my quarterback job, my OC job at Sanford, I used to sit in a meeting with Bobby while he would game plan. I sat, he'd sit in the box and listen to him call games. Wow. Yeah, I didn't Terry, know that, but it makes yeah. sense because you said Terry was there with you Terry, early in your career. Terry and Jeff were coaches on the staff. Okay. They were coaches mm-hmm. on the staff. They, they coached me. Then I coached with him. 
And so I was around the Bowden family all the time. So I was very blessed. They treated me like a, a, a family member, treated me great. Go stay at the house, come down there and stay and watch games and was very blessed. So I had a good knowledge of what Bobby was and who he was. He was set when he was young and he gave me the best advice I ever had as a coach. And I was, remember I was young at Sanford and I was coming up and we had the Bowden quarterback receiver academy, which we always worked. And I would work it every year. We were sitting in the back by a pool. Bobby's chewing his Levi Garrett and I was, or Red Man, I, we were chewing and we were sitting there and uh, he said, uh, and I asked him, I said, Coach, how can I get in, in this business? He said, I said, I want to move up. I want to do good. He said, I'll give you the best advice I ever got. He said, do a good job at the one you got and don't worry about it. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Coach, he said, every job I ever got, I never applied for. Somebody come and got me because I did a good job at the one I got. And he said, just put your nose down and work. Somebody, somebody will come get you. If you don't, don't notice, you're doing a good job. And, that, and that's been my philosophy ever since. I never applied for a job. People come and got and asked for jobs, and it was the best one. But then going there with Coach Bowden was so great. At the end of his career, that last one of the best moments of my life probably was the last game he ever had and the players who the Gator Bowl. support him at the Gator Bowl. Yep. And how much they loved him and what he meant to him and what he meant to Florida State. And I was so blessed to be around him and the family. And, and, and But he was a special guy that I still – matter of fact, I've talked to him two or three times. When he got sick before he was going in COVID, I called and – he said, hey, buddy, I got that Houston paper. I keep up with you every week. <laughs> we talked here a month or two ago. He's doing well, and uh, I still stay in touch. And, and one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life. And then that time at Florida, and then I was fortunate enough to get the head job. And, you know, we had great success there and was blessed to be there. Did you feel any pressure when, not just when they named you coaching waiting behind a legendary individual like Bobby, but when you became the head coach in Tallahassee, did you feel any added pressure because of the shoes you were not necessarily trying to fill, but following behind someone like Bobby? You definitely feel pressure. And, and, and you know, because you want the legacy to live on. You want you, you, the program he developed. You want it to be great just like it was and take it back to the heights of where it was. But I also remember my own advice about pressure. How you going to handle pressure? Get prepared and do the job. Don't worry about the results. That's the one of the things Nick did take. We always talked about too. Don't look at the scoreboard. Scoreboard will say what you want if you win every play. You win your job, you win your space, do what you got to do. The scoreboard will say what you want. And I carried that philosophy into coaching. All right. I broke it down. What do we have to do? How do we want, what kind of team we want? How are we going to recruit? How are we going to coach? How are we going to offense? We're going to have the defense. And then go to work. Put your nose down. Don't worry about the lights at the end of the tunnel. And that's the way I dealt with the pressure. Not, yeah. I didn't deal with the pressure. I dealt with the work. I understand if you put the hard work in and when I got to the game, if I was prepared, the results would take care of themselves. Now they take time, but I felt very good that way. And luckily it worked out for me. Yeah. You sounded like Mike Thomas, coach. <laughs> yeah. yep. Hey, sounded like Mike T talking about pressure, talking about the results. You became the head coach, Florida state university in 2010 and a few years down the line. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday watching that 2013 season. Oh, wow. I mean, what is your most memorable moment? from that historic like year offensively defensively you guys were were men amongst boys but what is your right. most memorable the moment number one offense you know that's the most dominant football team in the last 65 years of college football if you go no one is giving them their just due no one is giving you guys oh, your just due based on how well offense. you dominated that was the number one offense in the country that was the number one defense in the country and we had the best place kicker in the country we missed one kick the entire I mean, we, we could punt it, we could kick it, we could throw it, we could run it. Yeah, yep. I mean, we had three running backs had over 10 touchdowns. Carlos Williams, uh, Freeman, and Wilder. I mean, James mm-hmm. threw 40-some touchdowns. Never <laughs> hey, three beasts, too. Three beasts. You know, Rashad, that whole crew, the offensive line, everybody that started on that team played in the NFL and started. Yes. I mean – On both sides back, of the ball, defensively, too. Offense, defense, we were – our secondary. I mean, Jalen Ramsey started as a freshman, started safety. Darby. Well, number 13. LaMarcus Joyner, he, he, what a trend center he was. Yeah, uh, thirty. I mean, our, all of our guys in secondary. I mean, Telvin and Christian and Eddie and my, I mean, it was just across the board. Christian. I mean, it was just unbelievable group of guys. And you got to remember something. 
LSU broke the record they said last year for points in the season. All yeah. right. They, they beat our record by like one or two points. Points. Individual points. They played one more game than we did. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you can go into that row. And I, I'm not saying it's great, but I'm just saying that team was the pra- I'm gonna tell you the most fun part of that was the practices. You yeah. had to say, I mean, it was it was war, man. I mean, <laughs> they, they the pride on both sides. Yeah. We good. Herb Street, those guys used to tell them they used to fly in on Thursday to watch us because you had Friday, Saturday game. They would come yep. just to watch because we our, we finished up every Thursday with ones on ones, two minutes uh-huh. on Thursday. So we were and bad that, on Thursday. And what what people from the outside looking in don't understand that's rare because usually the commentators and analysts will fly in early Friday to get the, they to get wanted, that they through. To see us do, they want to see us do two minute offense. And guess how uh-huh. we won a national championship? Yeah, two minute. Two minute. Offense. Yes, sir. I was and there. I, I'll never forget Jameis. We had a saying. Are you strong? I'm strong if you're strong. In other words, we were all together. Mm-hmm. Got in the huddle. I said, just like Thursday, boys, Jameis walked in the huddle to me. He said, you strong? They said, we're strong if you're strong. He said, let's go win this thing. Then we straight down the field. But it was something we did all the time. But that team had a competitive nature about itself and the, the ability to prepare. It loved to practice. Yeah. If I got mad and said, I'll tell you, people don't know this. I'll tell you a quick story. Here's, here's one of the best stories about that team. Okay. They were in spring ball. We're on the goal line. We're going live goal line. Hit, you know, both sides have a little success for a couple of plays, and they're, they're chirping. You know, I mean, it, 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 they're chirping, chirping, chirping. I said, I thought, we're going to find out who's tough. We lined up. We went 39 straight plays live on the goal line. 39? We went 39 straight <laughs> plays live on the goal line. In spring ball, and I know it was hot and humid in Tallahassee. Hey, they, we lined up and went 39. I said, we're gonna, if we're tough, we're going to find out. If you guys are going to run your mouth, they start. So then guys would try to jump in. They would throw guys out, wouldn't let nobody in. Wilder carried it 32 of the 39. What? And scored almost 28 of them. And he actually cracked two ribs on the first play and never told nobody. And kept going. And But that team, the way it – I mean, it was – and then at the end, instead of being mad, they were mm-hmm. mad we quit. They wanted to keep going. That team had a, a sense to be mad. I'm not, I'm not saying that. There was a competitive nature and a they wanted to be – they were so close the year before we let it slip. Yep. They said it'll never happen again. And our leadership and our things that went on, there was leadership that went on. Guys, you could coach them hard. They loved it. They never said two words back to you, yes, sir, no, sir. But when it came time to turn the dogs loose, let me tell you something now. You were, they, they would eat up with dogs, and they loved to practice and play. At that time, well, which moment during that championship year did you realize, yo, like we got something special? You know, there's the first game caught me off guard. Jameis went 25 of Against Pittsburgh. Against Pittsburgh. 25 of 27, and we hit it. Yep. But we played – everybody's going to say the Clemson game. We, we played – it's still the – we have the two largest wins ever between two top 25 teams. We beat uh, Maryland 63-0. They came in as a top 25 team, and they were pretty decent. We beat them 63-0. I went, wow. I didn't – I mean, I knew we were good. We went to Clemson. We were both top five. We won that game 51-14. to 14. Yep. I mean, they were – I mean, with Sammy Watkins, you name it, they had everybody. I mean yeah. – Martavis they, Bryant was on I that mean, team. They had everybody. Mm-hmm. We beat and, and it wasn't close. No, and I mean, you walked off those fields. And, I mean, you're happy. You're going, wow, and and call and, and and call the dogs off a little bit. And I'm not trying to rub it in, but I mean, yeah. you went, looked up at them. And you're going, wow. I mean, this team here, it just it, whatever you ask it to do, it did. It yeah. was amazing. It really was. I'm, I'm gonna throw a play out to you, and we're gonna transition to Texas A&M. But one of my favorite, not just Florida State plays, coach. One of my favorite football plays. LaMarcus Joyner, you guys are playing a team in Tallahassee, and LaMarcus Joyner missed a tackle. It's against Ida. He came on a blitz. On the he right came on a blitz. He ran 120-some yards. He, that was, let me tell you something. 
I've never seen Joyner tire. I've never seen Joyner take a playoff. And I'm going to tell you something. Joyner didn't try to tackle you. He tried to put you in a hospital. Joyner was – he blitzed off the right side. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or his, his right side. Came, the ball went out. He'd run, slip, fell, jumped up. The ball splits for a 60-yard gain. He chases it all the way down. Guy jumps in front. He has to jump back around, loops back around, catches the guy on the other 20 after blitzing. He ran like 100 and some yards on the play. Go watch, never- the, last, go watch the last play of the national championship. They tried that trick play where they threw it over and then threw it back. Mm-hmm. They throw it over. He's over, stops the play. They throw it back. Who made the tackle on the other side of the field in the last play of the national championship? Joiner, number 20. Number 20. Let me tell you something. You walk down the alley with that guy in about two seconds and not blink. <laughs> hey, listeners, viewers, for you guys that are listening to us on the podcast and for you guys that are watching us on YouTube, please go Florida State 2013. You say it was Idaho? Who was Idaho. it? Yep. Idaho. Here's a bad part. We won the game 80 to 14. Yeah. I mean, you guys blew them out of the water. But, but they he, made some plays. Those guys didn't matter what how much they were up or how much they were down. They played yeah. the same way. Yeah, but listeners, viewers, please go watch. This is one of the best football plays. When you talk about effort and just oh. being relentless, this is what you. This is the ideal coaching tape. If oh. you want to, if you want to show guys what it takes to be a championship like player on yep. a team, championship like team, this is coaches. This is what you got to show to your team. Show it to your guys, please. Florida State, twenty thirteen versus Idaho. Lamarcus joined. I don't know if it was in the first half or the second half, but I can tell you when you watch this tape, you send us a message. All things covered. B Mac, Coach Fisher. Appreciate you for telling us that because that's an ideal coaching take. It's, it's amazing. I, and, and, and then because of your success, Florida State Championship uh, coach, being able to recruit uh, some of the best players. I mean, I mean, what, what you did at Tallahassee, Coach, man, you brought in some not just four and five stars, but you guys got two and three stars that you developed. We did. People we don't did. realize Devontae Freeman wasn't a top-tier player coming out of Dade County, Devontae Miami Central. Freeman never started a game in high school to his senior year. He committed yeah. to me never starting a game. And I was the first year as a head coach. People were, but this guy don't know what he's doing. Who are we recruiting? And he came to camp and worked out. And how I found him was as, as accident. I went down to watch another guy, Gaines, who ended up going to Kentucky in the spring. I wasn't a head coach yet. I went down to watch him. Well, he was in night school. So I watched uh, the other group, had some other players. So I watched the DN uh, coach was there and he, he said, What do you think? I said, He's good. I said, I'll tell you what, coach, I like your backup back better than I like the starter. And I think the starter is a really good player. He said, Well, I said, No, no, coach. He was just a junior. I yeah. said, I'm just telling you, I like this guy. So, games we recruited him going to Kentucky. We didn't take, and then I could, we come back next year and I sent our guys down to see Devontae. And I said, Go watch me. He said, Coach, he ain't start. I said, I don't care. I want this guy. I said, Let's wait till we get to camp. So, they talked me into coming to camp. Let him come to camp. Mm-hmm. He went through spring. He comes up to camp. It's one of them days in Tallahassee, 100 degrees, humidity 7,000. You know what I mean? You can't breathe. <laughs> He's all jacked up. He starts to work out. He gets overheated, cramps up within five minutes of the workout. Now, we're working mm-hmm. out in camp. He falls out, and, he said, and I said, hey, don't worry about it. Hey, we'll finish camp later, do another session. He said, Coach, I'm sorry. I said, listen, Devontae, just relax, buddy. It's, it's no big deal. Uh, he thought, about 15, 20 minutes later, I got a tap on my shoulder. I said, yes, sir. He said, Coach, I'm ready. I can work back. I said, no, you just crazy. Coach, I'm telling you. He worked out about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. He started doing his drills and he changed the direction. He caught balls. He did all this. I said, that's enough, guys. He said, no, coach, I'm sorry. I'll do better. I said, why? You got a scholarship to Florida State. Why you got to do any better? He said, huh? He had never had a scholarship. He was a zero star. He wasn't even ranked. I thought he, he had at least one or two. He didn't he have no ranking. Not, as soon as we signed him, he did. Okay. But they moved him up. He had no rankings. And he commits. They were throwing and he blow. But, you know, we had, a, I mean, Bjorn Warner was like that. First round pick. Mm-hmm. Elvin Smith was a three-star guy. We had two I forgot stars. about Elvin Smith Warner. was a three-star guy. Bjorn Warner was a first-round tank carrier. We had a bunch of guys 
I mean, Stork, who went to Remington, he was a two-star tight end, 245-pound tight end out of high school. Wow. We had some guys. Our, our coaches did a great job of developing players. No question. Another, okay. Rashad Green, the leading receiver in Florida State history, was a three-star guy. From St. Thomas Aquinas. Let me tell you something. Big games, boy. Rashad can make <laughs> Yeah, he, man, you talking about that first game in 2013. He had a huge game with Jameis. Jameis oh. made his first start, and Rashad was a – man, he was a go-getter. Rashad, that, that whole crew, him and Kenny Shaw was a phenomenal route runner. All Rashad did was make more big plays and more big games, and KB was so dominant. You, you can put that, that trio of wide receivers with whoever. They complemented each other so bad. You got to remember, and KB had 51 catches and 15 touchdowns. Only on 51 catches. <laughs> I mean, Rashad caught every ball in the sun. Kenny could run routes. And then you forget Nick O'Leary catching the yeah. football. Nick was phenomenal, man. With Nick no was, gloves on. Let me tell you Old school. He may be as competitive as any of them. Yeah. He was phenomenal. That whole group. From Palm was, Beach. They, was, they were all wired like that now. They were all oh, wired. Oh, man. No question. I love it. I love it. And you made the transition to uh, College Station, Coach. What was the first thing when you made, when you became the head coach there at Texas A&M, what was the first thing you wanted to do when it came to cultivating the culture? I knew this. And, and, and you play in this league over here, and it's a grown man's league. Is we're going we're gonna to have to win both lines of scrimmage. As much as I'm a skill guy and I love the skill, I wanted to be the most physical, dominating team up front with grown men that was still skilled and nasty at the, at the skill position. We could, just because you're physical doesn't mean you can't be skilled and, and, and technical. Mm-hmm. But just because you're, you're, you're also very technical and skilled don't mean you can't be physical. you got to play the game physical. you got to play it nasty. And you got to win the game up front. If you can't, we can't function. That, and that's the thing we're starting to do right now. We're learning to win the line to scrimmage. And our skill guys are loving the, the, not only being technical and making the big plays and all that, but we're learning to be physical as we play. Yeah, you're doing a great job. Like you said, they're learning to do it, and the results are following uh, your career record right now at A&M, 22-10. and 10. Uh, You're currently 5-1. Uh, and one. Uh, AP poll has you guys ranked fifth. The coaches poll has you guys ranked sixth, and the Florida Gators are in front of you. And I wanted to personally ask you a question because I just don't like anything Florida-related. And when you played against Dan Mullen earlier this season – that I seem it's, it seemed like you had a little more fire coming uh, out you well, from the sideline. You know, well, here are two little things. One, it's important games. It's a late game. But two, you know me. Listen, I I grew up Florida State fan my whole life. I was yeah. a Alabama fan. Of, I'm like you. When it got to the Gators, and I'm a, you, you, it's it's on now. <laughs> hey, coach. <laughs> I got, people don't understand like, that. That's something. That's a hate that will never leave you. You know what I mean? And, and that, that got me fired up because I watched that game, you know, covering uh, college football, clearly CBS Sports. We always cover the SEC game in the week and uh, all the SEC games. But when I saw you at the end of that game and I saw you give me that little extra, I said, yes, sir. Coach Fitz still got it in his heart. Exactly right. He come back. He had so many battles with him, so many wars with him. And you know how that game goes, man. It's always, and so that's always ingrained in. Yeah, and, and, and when you look at what we currently are involved in going through with the, with the pandemic, uh, how concerned were you leading up to this season that you guys would be able to play uh, college football this year? Very concerned. I mean, I was because listen, we all want to play. And we know what it means to our country to have college football is, is what makes America. It, it's, it's America's sport. In the NFL, man, it makes it go around. But at the same time, listen, health is the number one thing for anybody. And, you, yeah. and, and the thing as a coach, you never knew enough about the disease. And we're still finding out about the, about the virus. Yeah. And you had to, you know, each and every week have people educating me on what, what do we got to do? How we got to do it? What's the ramifications of that? What, you know, what, what can we not? And just making sure our players stayed safe first. I mean, we want to play and all that. But to me, the number one thing was the safety of our players and for their families and to make sure that we were updated on everything that was the most common or the most uh, 
last thing that was put out about this virus so we don't expose ourselves or do anything to our players that would be detrimental to them. How challenging has this year been for you when it comes to recruiting, right? You know, you know what I had? It was very, but I tell you what, we learned on this Zoom and the things we're doing now, yeah. it's amazing what you can get done. I mean, it is. And, and I think in the future time of things, this is going to be a big part of recruiting. I think a lot of this is going to stay in recruiting. I mean, you're going to go visit. You're going to go do all that. And they got, and they got to come to you. That's the big part you're missing because they're getting on mm-hmm. campus. But if the Zoom world has really changed things, it's going to be a big part going in the future, in my opinion. Yeah, no question. And also, too, when you look at how well you guys have been playing, I mean, the last two games have been postponed. Uh, what have you and your staff done to be able to keep the guys focused and dialed in to keep that same chemistry and rhythm you had before the postponement of the two well, ball, the first ball games? We did, we had, the thing we were in quarantine, so many guys quarantined. So what we've done the first week, we didn't want to get them everybody together. We didn't know how much it spread, which we yeah. luckily only had the one positive case with the player. So mm-hmm. we worked them out in small groups that were quarantined. Those guys worked out five days that first week all by themselves. And the guys who weren't, they worked in the large groups. And that first week was nothing but conditioning. I mean, it was, it was almost like old fourth quarter drills. Wow, was, like, I mean, like a bowl practice or yeah, uh, offseason. We and then this week we went back, the guys that could practice, the quarantine guys still trained and conditioned on their own in small groups. We had them come up to work the week, which they could do. And the rest of the guys, we had like spring, we went ones-on-ones, twos-on-twos for four straight days. Wow. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Yeah, that sounds like bowl practice. And, and it was. And then Friday, yeah. we give them a day off. And then Saturday, we brought them in and just ran them because real hard on Saturday because of getting ready for the game, you know. Mm-hmm. So we gave them a simulated week, and we went old, we went old school bowl practice, ones on ones, twos on twos to keep it sharp. One of my favorite players I love to watch, uh, he's an offensive guy, Spiller. I love oh. watching Spiller. Spiller's physical. He's learning to run. He's re- and he's just now scratching the surface who he is, just a sophomore. And he's, like, he's embraced the physicality of running the football. And he's a, you know, he's a big 218-pound guy, so he's, yeah. he's, he's a good football player, man. Really yeah, before, before I let you go, Coach, once again, Jimbo Fisher joining us here, all things covered, Patrick Peterson, Brian McFadden. Personally, because I know you've been around so many great football personalities, great talent, I would love for you to give me – and you don't have to name five offensive alignment, but if you want to go ahead and give me 11 personnel, three wide receivers, one tight end, one quarterback – one running back, or if you want to go 21 personnel. Wow. But give me, give me the best players you've been around as a coach. I need one quarterback. You can give me three receivers, one tight end, one running back. Man, you, you, you know how hard you're making this thing. I mean, Coach, it, you, you talked about pressure, though. Coach, earlier in the show, you talked about pressure, being right, prepared. Right. But, hey, they're all different. I mean, KB was so dominant. Rashad was such a big play guy. Michael Clayton. I get into Dwayne Bow and every guy. That's four. That, that's four receivers now. Are oh, you gonna go flush? You trying to go ten personnel? You no, trying to go flush? Yeah, listen, as a tight end, the one we got right now, Weedemeyer is phenomenal. But let me tell you something. Nick O'Leary is a college tight end. Nick O'Leary. I'm, I'm. I mean, Andrew Whitworth is an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, so, so we go O'Leary, Whitworth. You got uh, Stork in there. Yep. You got. Uh, I mean, you got Trey Jackson. You got Stephen Peterman. You got. I mean, those guys off a of defensive line. Kyle Williams is another guy who was a phenomenal football player oh, for us. And, Kyle Williams, yeah. And you talk about a natural football player. I remember one time we threw a screen on him, and we hit it. I about had a – I went crazy. I was so happy. So what's the matter? I said, I've run – for four years, I've ran screens on Kyle Williams. We got one up <laughs> in practice one day. I mean, he was – I mean, just – but Telvin Smith, Joyner. Mm-hmm. Jalen Ramsey is a competitor and a player. Let me tell you something. Jalen was off the charts. Devontae Freeman, Dalvin Cook. Yeah. Tell you, and Jameis Winston. Let me tell you, Jameis, I don't care what – I love all them other – but – Jameis is in a different and Dallas, so so you would take Jameis if you had to put one of your if you had to start one quarterback you would take Jameis over Jamar Jamarcus I don't know I mean listen, all those guys Rohan was special they're all I mean Kellen Mond right now is special I'm not saying I'm just saying those guys were I don't have favorites man I can't do it 
And they're like your kids. That's I like you're talking about your children, man. You can't, which one do you love the most? They were all, but what's funny, they were all successful in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, the, thing and, and the thing that I've learned, everybody says, who's the best? Well, what are you asking me to say? Yeah. This way, this guy, this way, this guy. But they all have that. That's the thing that makes I always say this about football players. Uh, you're talking about Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Yep. Did those guys want a combine? They wouldn't win the combine. Would Emma no, Smith no. win the combine? Would Jerry no. Rice win the combine? You're talking about the greatest backs. And I mean, that's the thing about football that makes it so elite. There's toughness. There's intelligence. There's ability to process information. There's ability to compete. There's a competitive edge to you. There's so many guys. I mean, I've been so blessed to coach so many great football. E.J. Manuel is a great person. Christian Ponder mm -hmm. is one that's very underrated. But we were building that team. If we had great players around, my Lord, was he a good player, man, how athletic he was. But Freeman, Cook, I mean, I mean – Hey, Coach, that Dalvin Cook, Coach, when I – man, my goodness, Coach. I'm going to say this. Of all the guys I've ever handed the ball to, the other team's heart dropped every time you handed it to them. Because you knew you, – you knew, because you knew – you knew it could end up in the end zone. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you a story about Dalvin, one of the funniest ones I've ever seen. We, were, okay. we, were, we ran a stretch to counter and a little scissors play would cut back. We were running the counter one day. We played Clemson in a great game. Mm -hmm. He bounced the counter outside and the safety took a bad angle. And I mean, the safety ain't a step and a half from him and he ain't seven yards down the field. He couldn't touch him. Well, here's what's bad. He's in front of our bench. Dalvin hits that thing and bounces it, gets that edge and is running it. At the same time, the safety's right there. He makes that and went like this. And waved at him, and waved at him, and took off down the field and scored sixty yards later. And I mean, that was in he, Tallahassee too, if I'm not mistaken, right? Exactly right. He knew it was that way. I mean, he was so. And, and I'm gonna tell you something about those guys. You couldn't coach them hard enough. They never yeah, yeah. said two words back to you. The harder you push them, the harder they pray. Devontae was the same. All those guys, Wilder, Carlos. I mean, those guys were just. You, you, know, you coach. You've been fortunate to be around some studs, man. Oh well, Francois was going to be a great player too. Mm -hmm. I love I mean, you know, I, I just all those guys were just they're your children, man. I, and I yeah. say that honestly. I mean, I love, I love them because you push them so hard and you go into war with them, you fall in love with them. Man, coach, man, I I, I appreciate you definitely giving us some jewels and some nuggets, man. My last question would, for you would be, recruits. When it comes to recruiting, I mean, you've had your luxury of getting top tier classes, but is there one or two recruits that you really thought you had a chance to coach and you really wish you had a chance to coach? Yeah, Brian McFadden. <laughs> uh, you know, there have been a uh, Vince Young. Oh, wow. Vince, you thought you had a chance to get Vince at LSU? Vince came to our camp. We, we were at LSU. We recruited him hard. He wasn't getting out of there. We, you know, we, you knew Vince was special. I mean, just, I mean, just overall, his size and speed and athleticism were, were just crazy. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to think. I tried to recruit Patrick, as a matter of fact. When I first got to Florida State, I was an assistant, though. I wasn't, I wasn't the head coach yet. Mm -hmm. uh, Julio Jones. Ooh. See, Julio was – we were real close with Julio. Oh, yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, we, we, were, we definitely were close with yeah, Julio. We were probably second in that deal. We, I wasn't the head coach yet. Me and Dossie recruited the heck out of him, and Julio was one in there. We, were, we felt really good. Had a good and, and I remember, Coach, remember – you guys used to have a uh, uh, all and uh, what was the name of that 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 uh oh the camp, camp. They all, they and, all, and we and we all would come back the Friday night lights and had all the great players come back and they yep, yep. if you remember Jerry spoke at that thing yeah remember Jerry Rice came and went you remember Jerry worked out and worked out for two and a half hours and ran every route and went up and down the field if you remember exactly that. exactly he was two so, years retired yes I remember that I remember that camp yeah we but Julio was over there then. yeah Julio was another one man I always I always loved Julio I thought because yeah. Julio was a he was a linebacker in a wide house body. No question. With no question. I mean, he was a mean – he was like him and Clayton, some of those guys, but Julio was special. I mean, he really was. No question. No question. Hey, Coach, man, thank you, man, for the time, man. It's, it's been a pleasure. 
I love talking football with Coach Jimbo Fisher because he he remembers everything. He remembers <laughs> everything, man. And, and like I said, so far, all the guests we've been having on here, Coach, they've been doing great in their profession. And I think that will continue to be the trend here on All Things Covered, man, Jimbo you. Fisher. What you say, Coach? You, I'm holding you to it or I'm going to send Jerry after. I'm going to have Jerry Johnson come get you. <laughs> I tell J-Rock, I said, what's happening? I will, I will. All right, Coach, appreciate it, man. You stay safe, safe man, and best of luck this upcoming week. Hey, Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Yes, sir. Take care. Thanks again to Coach Jimbo. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of All Things Covered. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back to you next Tuesday with All Things Covered. Peace. Peace.